Rituals of the Body I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. Walt Whitman We're not the body, but a lifetime of identifying with the vessel that was animated by life can be a hard habit to break. As humans, we're always and only life itself, briefly occupying a handful of stardust before we're scattered again to the four winds. What becomes of our body when we cash in our life deposit needn't preoccupy us, but we can demonstrate our love and ease the burden for loved ones by letting them know what we'd like them to do with our corpse. This matters because they live with the memory of our body. They will live with what they did with it, whether they ignored it, fled from it, or embraced it. And what we do with a corpse, we do to ourselves. Despite appearances, our death needn't end our relationship with the living. If we want, it can be a spur for a conversation that endures beyond our lifetime. Our body is a reminder that properly understood, we are deathless. Our life and death are not opposites, but the same mystery calling us to union, which means the corpse is a mirror to the living and the dead, not just the dead. And although we can't ensure that our wishes for our body are honoured, recording them and sharing them is an act of love a way to care for the living. Of course, people who are bound in ego identification will want to control what happens to their body because they believe they are the body. And what happens to their posthumous self is strictly personal, not familial or universal. In death, as in life, they imagine that they're still in charge, still calling the shots. But with anyone with a grander or enlightened sensibility, taking the time to consider and record our wishes for our final days and our post-mortem release is an act of service to our living brethren. The rituals that accompany dying and the care and disposal of bodies are as diverse as humanity. And there's a growing assortment of services and support for anyone who wants to avail themselves where do you want to die? Who do you want to see in your final days and hours? What kind of support and rituals would you like? Music, readings, sensory experiences, as you come to your finale? You can record these wishes in a death plan and give copies to your family, doctor, executor, and anyone you want to support or carry out your wishes. In addition to issues such as your will, power of attorney and your advanced care directive, a death plan should also cover your wishes for your funeral and what you want done with your body. Sally Tisdale has an excellent checklist in her helpful book Advice for Future Corpses and Those Who Love Them. The person who decides what happens to your body is your executor be sure to choose someone who will honour your wishes 
and tell him what you want in person, in your will, and in your death plan. Rather than outsourcing the management of their funeral and their burial or cremation to undertakers, many people are joining the growing movement for families to reclaim what's become the institutionalised care of our dead. The Natural Death Advocacy Network is an Australian organisation providing resources to help people plan their funeral and what to do with their body when they die. Its areas of advocacy include death education, funeral planning, family-led funeral care, natural burial and bereavement care. The National Home Funeral Alliance is a US non-profit volunteer organisation that supports people who want a home funeral. It claims a diverse membership. Home funerals are an organic response to the intimate process and aftermath of death and are as different as the people whose lives they honour, says the NHFA. It provides practical information about how to process paperwork, how to care for a body and keep it at home for a few days, how to make and source caskets, urns and shrouds, how to transport a body and make arrangements for final disposition which is code for burial, cremation and alternatives such as sea and sky burials. We are stardust, said the poet. Billion year old carbon. So how do we get ourselves back to the garden? Imagining the disposal and the breakdown of our body before we die could be a useful way to break the trance that we are the body, though it's not recommended for anyone alarmed by nature's genius for decomposition and disassembly. Do you want to go into the earth or burn up in smoke? Going into the ground is a surefire way to nurture new life. A rotting corpse is a vessel for a complex ecosystem that emerges soon after death and flourishes as decomposition proceeds. If you're going into the ground, you might want to consider a green or natural burial as a way to harmonise your body with nature. Green burials are meant to be eco-friendly so that the body goes to the earth in its natural state. This means no toxic chemicals, such as embalming fluid, are used to preserve the body from the point of death. A green burial means the body is commonly placed in a biodegradable container or wrapped in a shroud of linen or silk and buried without a coffin. Green burial can mean anything from being buried in your backyard, as long as you follow local law, a conservation reserve, a natural burial ground, or in a hybrid cemetery that provides space for burial without a vault. A natural burial ground can also mean the body is interred with no marker other than a sprouting tree, or perhaps a stone. Cremating or burning the body has a long history and is common around the world. Burning the body at high temperature and then grinding the remains reduces the body to bone fragments and ash. In the West, cremation is usually done in a crematorium. But in the Indian subcontinent, 
especially in India and Nepal, open-air cremation is common. Why cremation? Some view it as a way of simplifying their funeral process. Others choose it for religious reasons, or simply prefer it because it disposes of the body instantly, rather than the slower process of burial and decomposition. Cremation is not entirely eco-friendly, though. According to Wikipedia, each cremation uses about 110 litres of fuel and releases about 240 kilograms of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. This means that one million bodies cremated annually in the United States produce about 240,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide, more CO2 pollution than 22,000 average American homes generate in a year. What about turning yourself into compost? Recompose is a US public benefit corporation that will soon provide an alternative to cremation and conventional burial. It offers a process called recomposition that converts human remains into soil that can be used for new life. Recompose says recomposition happens inside a reusable vessel. Its website says bodies are covered with wood chips and aerated, providing the perfect environment for naturally occurring microbes and beneficial bacteria. Recomposition usually takes about 30 days. The company says converting human remains into soil helps minimise waste, avoids polluting groundwater with embalming fluid, and prevents the emission of carbon dioxide emissions arising from cremation and the manufacture of caskets, headstones and grave liners. In remote parts of China and Tibet, the custom of sky burials is still done. The body is usually dismembered and laid in the open to be picked over by vultures and scavengers before it goes back to Mother Earth. Another option is donating yourself to the advancement of forensic anthropology and crime solving. Some 4,000 people around the world had gifted their body to so-called body farms, research centres that study the decomposition of human remains so that criminal investigators and forensic scientists can learn about how and when people have died in homicides and related circumstances. The first and the most famous of these body farms is based at the University of Tennessee's Forensic Anthropology Centre in Knoxville, USA. There, scientists assess how bodies change and decompose in a range of circumstances, some buried in shallow graves or floating in a pool, others laid out inside a building or left in the open beneath a tree. In some Zen traditions, students are asked, what was your face before you were born? The question asks students to consider their true nature, that which endures eternally, beyond the transience of the body. On this point, Stephen Levine says, our original face is our faceless presence. When reflected in the mirror works of the mind, it is that which experiences thought and feeling. It is the light by which consciousness is lit. It peers through the mask of personality 
and offers life. To discover one's original face is to see behind the mask, beyond thought and thinking, beyond the known, beyond impermanence, is the ever-present, unnameable thusness of being, our timeless, deathless, energetic essence.